Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, it's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, December 15th. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsker, Chief Investment Officer, and Dave Spano. It seems like a week ago we were talking about volatility. seems like a month ago, six months ago. It's that time, right? Well, usually when we get to the end of the year, that kind of goes away. But some of the issues, Danny, that have been lingering for the entire year continue to, to exist. And that's China. That's the Fed. That's a slowing global economy, and all of those issues still exist. But here, here we are at the end of the year, and in fact, uh, yesterday, Friday, uh, the end of the week. And usually, you think you start to see things stabilize. We're not seeing that. I am checking my list, uh, checking it twice, Mark. And uh, there's a couple of naughty actors in there, and both Johnson and Johnson and Costco are on that naughty list. Well, you look at things like the Dow, right? I mean. 500 points down on Friday, but, you know, so much of that was Johnson & Johnson and so much of that, you know, because you only have 30 stocks in that index, when one of them goes down and it's a heavily capitalized weight in that index, it drives the entire index down. And then that drives, you know, it, it starts to snowball and you start to get this effect where the Dow is down and then the S&P 500 is down and other indexes kind of fall along as well. You know, that's what we're seeing is volatility. You know, we talk on this show a lot about volatility being an opportunity, Derek, to look at rebalancing, to look at those things in your portfolio that maybe you want to look at and saying, is it time for tax loss selling? Is it time for rebalancing? Doing all those things at this time of year is a pretty smart way of addressing your portfolio. And volatility was certainly there, but you know, we mentioned Johnson Johnson and Costco, and I think we should shed a little light on both those topics. Well, in the case of Johnson & Johnson, apparently at some point in the past, the gypsum that is part of baby powder comes from, I guess they mine it, and there are trace elements of asbestos in it when they mine it. From what I gather, years and years ago, there was a, some small amount of asbestos in baby powder. That is not currently true. There are lawsuits out there that claim that this baby powder may or may not have caused cancer. Uh, many of those cases have gone to trial. Many of them have been overturned. Uh, so Johnson & Johnson took a whack just on this news. Uh, Costco, on the other hand, reported a pretty good quarter. But again, you know, the guidance wasn't as strong as people wanted. So the stock sold off as well. I mean, basically what's happening right now is companies that, that meet expectations get sold. Companies that miss expectations get crushed. And companies that beat expectations basically go sideways. And so down 9% Costco was. And, you know, you look at Apple's down big. But, you know, Mark brings up a really good point in the fact that we're having volatility. And we talk about uh, technicals, and I know that's getting pretty deep into the weeds. But there was a low that was set in March of this year. And we've kind of seen what's called a retest. And that's kind of a technical term. But to go down and make sure that that was the bottom we're basically that near that March low right now. Yeah, we're 2% away. In fact, earlier this week, we broke the lows from uh, November and October, 
and held and rallied and closed very strongly, led primarily by a really sharp turnaround in the price of, of Apple, which is obviously a big weighting in the indices. We've been expecting a retest. Uh, complacency kind of ruled most of the year. And now we're going to find out, you know, whether the corporate fundamentals and trade and Fed all coalesce into what can lead to a very a much better market going to next year. And I think that's what people are wondering today when they're listening is you're bouncing along the bottom here and you're going from March until now December and kind of treading the same water over and over. What is it that breaks us out of those doldrums? What is it that moves a market forward ultimately? What's the next thing that investors should look forward to that may move stock markets higher? I mean, in my mind, it's going to be the Fed. The Fed meets next week. Uh, there was talk that they were going to raise rates four times next year. Then it was skinny down to three. Now some folks believe they may only raise rates once. So that's a plus, right? The Fed is going to moderate their uh, efforts to, to raise short-term interest rates. The other big wild card is trade. And it seemed to me, just reading between the lines and ignoring the tweets, that, that basically we are making slow progress with China. We saw some data out of China that told you that their economy is slow. We've mentioned before that we didn't believe that 6.5% growth rate. Um, so, so basically the Chinese have a, a reason to negotiate. Their economy is starting to slow, and they obviously want to get this, this uncertainty clarified. And do we think that this is just large-cap stocks? Are we trying to see some, some basing in other areas of the, of the markets? Well, we've seen basing. Actually, the, the strongest market this week was the Chinese stock market, oddly enough, and emerging markets. They outperformed the S&P and small caps in the U.S. Uh, right now, over half the companies, Mark, in the S&P 500 are down more than 20% from their highs. So you could say basically more than half the S&P 500 is in a bear market. The other half, obviously, are not down quite so much, but many of the FANG stocks, which are big weightings in the S&P, are. Uh, Dirk Felsky, our chief investment officer. We will uh, take a break, uh, be back. Dave Spano, Mark Oswald, Dirk Felsky here for the rest of the show. Also, a little bit later, we're going to talk about some of our CSMs. Now, CSMs at, uh, at Annex Wealth Management, I think, pretty much the oil of the machine, the client service managers. What is it that they do and how do they do it? They do it well, I'll tell you that. Also, ask Annex a little bit later on and then Deanne Phillips later in the show with three steps to take before marriage. It's all on the way. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, it's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, December 15th. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is here, our Chief Investment Officer, Mark Oswald and Dave Spano, and our old friend, the inverted yield curve. Or yeah. maybe just the yield curve. He's not inverted yet, is yeah, he? Yeah, that, that is no friend of mine. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the Federal Reserve, Derek, before we went to break, and the fact that there's a meeting this coming Wednesday, and all eyes are on that for several reasons. And as Danny points out, there's this dreaded inverted yield curve, which does suggest that you could see a recession if it does invert. So we're watching to see what the Fed is going to do in the short term. And we've talked about when it does invert. In other words, long-term rates go lower than short-term rates. But I think there's another story behind here that no one's reporting, and that is the fact that it's starting to invert or flatten out because of what is happening in Europe, Derek. No, I, I think that's true. I, I mean, I was listening to the pundits on CNBC most of the week uh, at various points, and many of them got this whole yield curve story wrong. First of all, the first time a yield curve inverts in the past three cycles, stocks are actually up rather dramatically over the following six to 12 months. That's the first thing. The second thing is 
the reason the long end of the curve has been weak, in other words, yields are low, is that overseas markets, you know, we hear about China growth slowing. We hear about the Eurozone growth slowing, Mark. We don't see much in the way of inflation. That's putting downward pressure on yields, despite the fact that the Treasury has to fund a, a trillion-dollar deficit for this year. Explain that, though, because what you're really saying is that around the world, people would rather own U.S. bonds than other types of bonds. So you've got the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of China, still buying U.S. bonds. Of course, that raises the price up, and that brings the yield down. And that's why we're seeing the long end of those bond yields coming down. As well as all of the distress that's happening over in Europe. We saw this week that uh, Macron in France, he had a vote that he had to come out and talk about some of the things they were doing with the diesel tax and other taxes. You saw what happened with Brexit and the fact that Prime Minister May had to delay the vote on Brexit. And of course, Italy's unemployment rate went over 10%. And all of that concern in Europe means that dollars are leaving there and coming over here, which is pushing down yields as well. Yeah, I mean, the big story for the S&P and and international markets last year was what we called a global synchronized recovery. Well, clearly some some global economies are not growing at at the rate they did in 2017 and early 2018. That's no surprise. Basically, what we have to do is say, okay, do we want exposure to international equities? Well, I think you want some because they're very cheap. I've noticed the emerging markets, which actually led on the downside, are actually stabilizing and actually on a technical basis look a lot better than a lot of other markets. For example, this week, despite the negative information on China, that index was actually up. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I want to try to find the silver lining in here because our clients are not traders. They are investors, Mark, and I think that's really the takeaway from here. That's a great point. And and people who have a long-term view, it doesn't matter really what happens in December with rates or even in 2019. Now, let's talk about that a little bit because I look at it in terms of actions and words. So the action would be the rise of rates, right? I mean, if, if we get a quarter point raise in December, which we expect, it's the words that come with it. You know, the action is the move in the rate. It's the words that come with it, the caution, the the dovish tone, if you will, Derek. And talk about that a little bit for people because they're going to probably see the action, but they should listen to the words. Yeah, because in their past commentaries, they've talked about the, the extremely strong economy, the extremely strong jobs market. Remember, jobs are at a 49-year low. That's a sign of a pretty strong economy. Unemployment and- rate. Yeah, excuse me, the unemployment rate. Uh, So basically, our feeling is this is going to be a dovish hike. They'll raise it. It's a 70% probability in the futures market. When it's been above 50, they follow on and do it. Because many times the Fed really follows the market as opposed to leads it. But I think they're going to talk about data dependency. They're going to talk about global slowdown. They're going to talk about the fact that oil prices are down. All of these things suggest that interest rates may rise in the future, but at a much slower rate, particularly on the short end of the yield curve. And especially when they're talking about being just below the rate of normalization, you add another quarter point to that, at least in thinking you're getting closer to the point of normalization where the Fed is neither raising nor lowering rates. So go out and look for some Christmas presents now and know that there are a lot of positive things that are surrounding the investing scenario right now. Well, that's a lot of stuff to absorb, of course. And, you know, we always watch what the Fed does. And, of course, we'll be listening very closely for our clients as to what the words are around that rate raise. But there's a lot of positive things right now, and especially in the Christmas season. We've seen really good retail sales. We saw gas prices come down, which is essentially a tax benefit for consumers. We're seeing raising wages, and that's pretty good for investors, and it's pretty good for us just as Americans. 1021 at WTMJ. This is Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. The guys are going to be sticking around. Up next, we're going to have a little segment about our client service managers at Annex. I think they are really good. They do some pretty amazing things that it's just sometimes 
it's tough for regular people like me uh, to interface with some of these big companies. They just know how to do it. That's on the way. Also coming up, three steps to take before marriage. Now, you might have been married 25 years. You don't need to hear this. Maybe you need to share this with somebody that you know. That's on the way. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with James Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, this is a team segment about client service managers or CSMs at Annex Wealth Management. I think they're special. They do things ordinary humans can't, like deal with all the various financial institutions. Stephanie Emmons works closely with the CSM team. Stephanie, welcome back. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. You do have a pretty dynamic bunch. We do. I was just talking earlier about how can I thank everyone this Christmas season for, for all the hard work that they've done and for their tireless hours and everything they do for our clients. And I don't think thank you is enough, but that's where I'm going to start. And I don't think this counts, so you're still going to have to get that's them That's right. Something. It doesn't. Okay. Can't cross this off the list. So take us to CSM School. What exactly is a CSM and what do they do at Annex? Client service managers here at Annex Wealth Management truly are the lifeblood of what we do here at Annex. And you've heard me say this before, and I think others echo that sentiment. They really are the day-to-day -day interaction and the touch point for all of our clients. They're the first person they call when, when something has changed in their life. They're one of the last people that they talk to when, when they have to close out on something, whether it's a new home or to break bad news or to share good news. The service managers are the ones that are involved from the get-go and making sure that everything is done along the way to make to have the clients have a seamless transition from point A to point B. They work with all of our different departments and our specialists here at Annex, bringing in the specialists when needed, ensuring that time is set aside to go through the complex situations that are keeping our clients up at night and making sure that they don't get to leave until they feel satisfied with the response and where they're going next. Amen, sister. As part of Show & Tell, we have two CSMs with us. I've seen both in action. I'm in awe. So Shannon Thurner is Lead Client Service Manager at Annex. Shannon, you help navigate a lot of different big firms, uh, the big mutual fund companies, insurance companies, the, the U.S. government. Not one is the same. How, what is the trick? The trick is just knowing how to ask the right questions, and that comes from a lot of experience in the industry. And we have a lot of dynamic backgrounds on the client service manager team, so we have people with insurance backgrounds. We have people with brokerage backgrounds. We have people who worked at big trust companies. So we're able to really leverage the team to know how to ask the right question. But I've seen you in action. It's like you're speaking a different language. You know, I've started out the call sometimes. I'm instantly a fifth grader. You march right in and you can, you can, you know how to talk to them. I think that just comes from time and experience. And that's why, you know, people come to us because we can help them through these experiences that aren't an everyday thing for them. And and that's what we really like to do. I think that every client service manager at the core of it really loves to help people. Also here is Melissa Montguire, another vital member of the CSM team. Melissa, I can't imagine one day at Annex is like another. So which is harder, being like a mom like you are or a CSM? <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're both challenging and fun. And I love that every day I come in and it's never the same. You know, you have your things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that things run smoothly. But you also get to do something new almost every day. And that's what I love. Let's talk about a client challenge that I saw both Shannon and Melissa working on. So a, a client died. His account was being split between children. He had a 401k, which would pass to the kids, but the RMD hadn't been taken yet, and it needs to be taken by the end of the year. So the clock was ticking. So what was that challenge, guys, and how did you navigate the issue? We leverage contacts that we have within the industry. So this 401k happened to be 
at Fidelity. And we've leveraged people that we know at Fidelity to try and reach out to expedite this issue. We definitely want to get it done before the end of the year. We are pressing on our resources to be able to make that happen. And then if not, we have experts here to help navigate the not being able to take it in time. If we can't get it done by our resources and leveraging the people we know, we're going to leverage the resources we have at Annex to make sure that the explanation is very clear for the IRS. So, Melissa, you were working with one of the other siblings, right? So your efforts kind of needed a match with Shannon's. Exactly, yeah. Shannon was working with one of the siblings, and then I was working with the other, and we were able to work together as a team to just let them know what to expect and to be in, in contact with them and work together to let them know how this is going to go forward. You can kind of divide and conquer as well. If you're ultimately working towards the same objective and you have different timelines and different things that are coming up on your day-to-day life in addition to getting this completed for our, for the individual clients, but you can sort of divide and say, okay, today you're going to help me, You know, we're going to help with this, and then the other person is going to work on this, and together you're ultimately meeting the same goal. But because we've got those team resources, you're able to separate out the tasks, work towards a common objective, and ultimately help the clients together. Melissa? on any particular day and any guess on how many different clients you interface with? I don't even know. Maybe 20? Shannon, how about you? Some days I would say that we work with fewer clients because we're working on specific issues like the issue you brought up. So it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to get through that one issue. And there's other days where we're just working with clients, taking phone calls, addressing emails, and it could be, you know, 10, 20, 30 people that we talk to. Stephanie, you got a great team there. Absolutely. It makes it a, a pleasure to come to work every day knowing that you're walking into a team of professionals who are ultimately here to help others and and here to to really do something for the greater good. Stephanie Emmons, Shannon Thurner, Melissa Montguire, thank you guys. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, Danny. This is Money Talk Annex Wealth Management for uh, Saturday the 15th. Here we're sitting at 1029. 30 minutes left in the show. Still some great stuff coming up. Um, Ask Annex. We'll do that right after the news. A number of questions that have come in uh, this past week. And if you've got one, we love to hear from you. We get back, we use as many as we can on the radio, but then we get back to everybody else. That's at annexwealth.com slash ask. You can do that. Uh, Dan Phillips has three steps to take before marriage. This is shareable content. Uh, we'll have this up on our uh, Annex Wealth Management YouTube site uh, in a little bit. Uh, if you need to share that with somebody, that's quite good. And then Dave and Mark and uh, and Derek's gone now, but Dave and Mark will be back a little bit later. There's still more to come. It's the Annex Wealth Management Show. It's Money Talk. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, this is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ, for Saturday, December 15th. Time for Ask Annex. You can submit your questions at AnnexWealth.com slash ask. Tom asks our first question, what sectors of the economy appear to look good for investment opportunities next year? And what's your thought process behind your picks? Looking in your crystal ball, how many interest rates do you anticipate the Fed enabling next year? So let's take the second question first. We did talk a little bit about what we expect out of the Fed. And right now, even though there was four dot plots, in other words, an anticipation that there'll be four rate raises, we're now down to two by those who watch the Fed. And uh, there's a possibility it may only be one. And I think that leads into the sectors that are that could do well next year. But as an investment committee, Derek, we get together and we go through lots of things to talk about where we should invest. 
We do. I mean, the one area that, that we've continued to like is consumer discretionary. It's been our belief that when folks get back their tax returns or file their tax returns in, in 2019, they're going to realize that that tax cut had a lot more oomph to it than they've been led to believe. So that's one reason to support the consumer, which leads to spending, leads to strong holiday sales. As well as, as low oil prices. I mean, that's effectively another tax cut. Yes, it is. And, you know, with unemployment right at 49-year low and wage growth starting to improve, why wouldn't people spend a little? bit more. The other area that we've liked for a long time is health care. The demographics are very favorable. It's a defensive sector, which is probably a nice to own when, when the economic growth around the world is slowing somewhat. And the United States leads the world in terms of innovation in that space. How often are the sectors that win one year the sectors that win the next year? Does, is it, do the deck chairs change? They do. They, they change a lot. In fact, you know, one of my favorite strategies is to look around the second or third week of December and say, okay, which sectors actually performed the worst this year? Is there any fundamental catalyst that could emerge for them next year? So as an example, now this is not a recommendation, energy stocks have been very weak this year, down a bunch, but they are cheap. You know, names like ExxonMobil yield over 4%. At the same time that the 10-year Treasury yields, you know, 2.85, and you get an inflation kicker there, too, if oil prices start to rise. I like that every time he says this is not a recommendation, he looks at Oswald. Well, that's right. Oswald's uh, glaring at him right now, by here, the way. Here's our second one. Uh, Larry asks, are robo-ETFs to blame for volatility? If they're scouring for keywords, wouldn't that make them subject to manipulation? I think that's a great question. We've talked about this a little bit. We have, and that is a great question, and we have seen it. Uh, just this past week when President Trump had the leaders of Congress in his office, and uh, we were watching. The mark was up about 300 points at that point, Derek, and uh, we were watching on CNBC, and, and President Trump said, if I have to su- shut down the government, we'll do that. And we watched it just drop 300 points. So we know that there's these algorithms and these computers, these robots that scour for certain terms, and when they see them, they start to sell, and then trend followers follow trends. That The algorithms work both ways. They can actually cause the market to rally as well. But the one thing I've, I've learned, at least from that, is things go down a lot quicker than they go up, typically. Because m- most people aren't really prepared to buy falling knives or what they perceive to be a falling knife. So all this volatility between 2,600 and 2,800 in the S&P is gradually wearing folks out. And we're just trying to sit with the investment committee, look for opportunities. We're going to do some changes in our equity income strategy in the next couple of weeks because there are some real valuation uh, opportunities there. 45 seconds for our last one from Matt. I found old stock certificates in a relative's dresser. Are they worth anything? And he, he says, Southwestern Bell, Dresser Industries, Popeye's Chicken. Well, we have to find out, and you have to take them one by one. So each stock certificate has a unique mark on it called a QSIP, and that QSIP is specific to that individual stock. And the transfer agent, whoever issued that stock, then can follow that QSIP forward. So if Southern Bell or whatever it might have been became something else, became something else, became something else, that QSIP number continues to follow along with it so we can track the value of that stock if indeed it has a value at all. And, you know, it's not just you can't just find that and and turn that in. So there you go. That's Ask Annex. You can submit your question at AnnexWealth.com slash ask. Our website is a great place to start. You can get that free portfolio analysis. This might be a great time with all the volatility. Just click the Get Started button. Our offices, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, our newest branch is downtown at the Fister because we know that a lot of people are working there and also living in downtown. And then Annex every 
everywhere, which is really, really nice. If you can hear us right now on this big radio station, we can deal with you no matter where you are. You don't have to download an app at all. It's as easy as your phone. That's Annex Everywhere. Again, it starts at AnnexWealth.com. This is Money Talk and WTMJ. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Far too many marriages end in divorce. Money is often cited as the main cause. No matter where the money issues fall on the list, problems almost always occur when spouses have different values toward money or financial goals. Joining me is Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. She's a CFP and a CDFA, which is a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Lots of experience with what we're about to talk about. And I'm married. And you're married. Some of the suggestions are, number one, show and tell game. And what that is, is you need to disclose last year's tax return, a current credit report, your pay stub with deductions, all bank statements, statements for debt, judgments or past bankruptcies, cash flow plan or budget if there is one. Really, is all this necessary? Yes. How ne- real? Okay, you're saying yes, because <laughs> you see this all the time. You see the wreckage, right? I do, and um, it, it can be a train wreck. I want to go back to a couple in particular that I think are very important. One is, remember, this is discovery. It's sharing to try to get on a, on a common path together. So when we think about our pay stub, we think immediately our mind goes to what we earn. But it's also what we're putting aside for the future. What would you say is the percentage of couples that actually do this, to kind of go through and say, okay, what do you have, what do I have? Interesting. Statistically, 24% keep student loans secret from their partner. But this is why the actual show-and-tell list can take things on the table, and it makes a way of um, there's no error by omission here. Going back to those deductions, it's not just what you put away in your 401k, but it's also your health insurance. You can kind of take a look and say, well, as we go forward, should is one benefit of one company, yours or mine, better than the other? Who should carry our health care? I mean, there's a broader discussion to be had here. Student loans, though. Holy cow. That's and, a huge you know, one. <laughs> that's like almost that's like bringing a child into a marriage, right? Because some of those are hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it really can be. So the average student loan balance for borrowers is a little over 34000 One third of borrowers said that loans contributed to their divorce and well over 10% of people actually blamed their divorce on their student loans. Three important financial steps to take before the wedding, the show and tell game, which is kind of you're disclosing, you're putting the cards on the table is the first one. Second one is consider joint or separate accounts. And there's a bunch of different ways you can work that. Well, sure. So you can do totally joint where, you know, you decide to combine all income into one checking account. You decide you're going to pay that bills from that account. You're going to have credit cards in, in joint names. And that's a fine way to go. Remember, in that case, though, your retirement accounts, your IRA cannot be titled jointly. Those are still always throughout your life only titled as your individual retirement account, IRA. You know, it's the most transparent option, but it can lead what I've seen in older generations where this was the case is one person in the couple would take total control of the cash flow. And that can lead to issues if, you know, we've got a great long marriage, you know, divorce is even the question, but then you've got the other D, death later Mm. on. And you've got one spouse who just really has never understood the finances. 
The other thing would be keep everything purely separate. I'm seeing this more and more in people who go into second marriage. And that's really they're maintaining separate checking and savings accounts in their household. They're deciding who's going to pay for what. A lot of times in a second marriage, maybe only one of the spouses will own the house. And the other one, it's almost kind of like paying rent maybe. And I've seen many couples have a great relationship this way. And they make it work? They really do. Okay. Um, credit cards and loans are kept separate. For a spouse who might tend to spend more money than the other or if they're embarrassed about the amount that they spend, and especially if you've got two actively working spouses in the household, separate credit cards make sense, even if all the other accounts are joint. Uh, my husband and I do that, again, kind of for the autonomy, so that I feel if I want to go for, you know, buy us a weekend away or whatever, I can do it without feeling it's over a price point where I need to consult. But that's something going into a marriage you should really talk about also. Okay, we're talking about consider joint or separate accounts. Can you combo them? Oh, of course. You can combo in a way that makes sense. So maybe you keep separate credit cards, but there's a joint account. Your income goes into there. You pay all the bills out of that. I'm an advocate of everyone having their own separate savings or checking account and credit card in their own name. So you have to be careful with this because sometimes when you go jointly, a credit card might pull off one person's credit report and then have the other spouse be an authorized signer. But I'm a firm believer everybody needs their own credit score and their own credit in their own name just Uh for circumstances chances beyond their control in the future. Dan Phillips is joining us. Three important financial steps to take before the wedding. The first was the show and tell game. That's where you put the cards out on the table. The second was consider joint or separate accounts. The third is play the what if game. This makes people start to talk and kind of flesh out possibilities. This is really about financial planning. It's about setting your goals. It's about saying, you know, do we want to buy a house or, you know, are we in a place in our career where we may be moving so it doesn't make sense? Mm -hmm. Maybe until we're established somewhere in a city, we're going to rent or or come up with an alternative solution. So that's an important thing. The second thing would be children. You know, how do I feel about having children? How do you feel? Do we want to? How do we feel about the expense of kids? If we have a child and we're both working full time, remember, one of the biggest expenses is childcare. And if we're in a city away from grandma and grandpa, which might be our first go-to, what do we do? It can be very expensive. So is it a viable option for one person to put their career on hold or aside to stay at home? Is that a value? that's important to you as a couple. So these are discussions you really need to have. Even before you have kids, do you talk about how you're going to pay for college? I think college is an important consideration also because right now Deutsche Bank has some research that says only 50% of millennial kids will earn more than their parents. So as a couple, if they say, yeah, we're going to put our child through school, and I've seen this, even through grad school at the expense of their own retirement, they have to look at the earning potential of that child because it would be really sad if on paper financially it became a lose-lose for both. You know, they're putting their child through college during their retirement, and all of a sudden they're going to find out that their financial plan doesn't work as nicely as they think. And meanwhile, the kid's not going to be able to support them necessarily as they grow up in their career, whether from a timing point of view or from an earning capacity. The what-if game, do you even get into things like vacations? Oh, yeah. Especially in younger people right now, experiences are Mm. becoming more important than the vacations are more important than actually buying homes in a lot of cases. So it, it, it goes back to the values again. And you feel free to divide your, your marriage into decades. You know, Danny, you and I are just getting married. We're in our tw- mid-20s, you know. We're, gonna we're travel establishing a our career. Yep. Sure, yep. we don't okay. have a child yet, et cetera. You know, you flash forward into your 30s and 40s, and then when, with your eye on retirement, your goals are going to change. 
Three important financial steps to take before the wedding. Deanne Phillips, our Director of Client Learning and Development and a CFP and a CDFA, joined us from Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you found that useful and you'd like to share it, sign up for Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter that will be featured this week. Again, you can do that at AnnexWealth.com. That is Axiom. Don't need to be a client for that. It's a weekly newsletter arrives on Sundays. AnnexWealth.com. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, this is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, December 15th. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here and uh, Mark Oswald. Mark, I kind of tease you every once in a while. I always say that you're kind of like the dad at the pool. You're the compliance guy, right? So you have to keep an eye out for everything. That's your job. Well, it is, you know, and, and part of that responsibility to the firm is, you know, making sure that we're disclosing everything to our clients, the way that we collect fees, the the nature of our relationship. And we've talked many times on this show about the fact that we are proudly a fiduciary and we put it into our contract. You know, we've done presentations in the past that are obviously intended to be client education types of pieces. And we talk a lot about, you know, how you know the difference, right? How do you know the difference between an investment advisory firm and a brokerage firm? And Dave, you were sharing with me uh, uh, an ad that you saw in a magazine or newspaper just recently and you pointed out the disclosure and we kind of had a chuckle about it because it's got to be three or four hundred words it's it's enormous not only that there's so much in there and in this adage that the devil's in the details it's in this disclosure right and it's a large international bank that, that that's in this disclosure and one of the things they talk about is in their language they say we provide both investment advisory and brokerage services and investment advisory services and brokerage services materially are different and they're they're governed by different sections of the law and all of that's true even if you read that disclosure Dave you have to understand what those terms mean those industry terms mean to really get any value out of the disclosure well I do and I have to tell you I've thrown a little bit off because Danny uh, suggested your dad at the pool and I certainly hope that you're wearing a swim shirt because <laughs> without what's, it what's, I, that I, di- what's that dye they put in the water exactly just to <laughs> make sure that <laughs> that is not dye sir uh, yes uh, no that, that is true Mark and the disclosures that we see are causes for concern but I think that is the reason why we talk about know the difference and in the one that we were talking about today there's a brokerage firm and there's an advisory firm and it says very clearly they are distinctly different at Annex Wealth Management we use independent custodians what does that mean firms like TD Ameritrade or Schwab or Fidelity as if you were going to set up a portfolio yourself that's where we take your client assets and there's lots of reasons why we do this not only for disclosure but for cost and everything else that goes into that so you know we've drawn the analogy in the past about the man with two hats right so in one case you're wearing the fiduciary hat when you're when you're providing investment advisory services and then on the other hand when you're using brokerage services you're wearing a completely different hat how does the consumer tell I mean how do you know when somebody has moved just transparently between the investment advisory world and the brokerage world and in the investment advisory world think about how thin that rail is let's say that you're acting as an investment advisor and then you offer or you recommend investments that are sold by the brokerage arm. I mean, that happens all the time with proprietary products. You'll see people out there who are fiduciaries as investment advisors who sell the home product, who sell the 
what the what the mothership wants them to sell. And then your impartiality and your bias has crept back in, certainly. And, and you have a problem then with whether or not you're truly being a fiduciary. We see that far too often. This was just another stark example. You look at this disclosure, but as a consumer, you have to understand what the words mean, and you have to be skeptical, and you have to ask questions. And, and lastly, you know, we saw another example. Uh, someone that we know as an advisor came in and showed us a portfolio, and the fees on that portfolio were 3%. And that's these are the kind of things that we look out for, and we have to make sure that you know what you own and what you're paying for it. So think about that. If you want to make money in your portfolio, the first 3% went to the house. You've got to do pretty well in your portfolio over time to recover that on an annual basis. There's so much to cover, and uh, we're glad to do that. And if you need a second opinion, we'll be glad to give that to you. And there's people that come in, Danny, as you know, on a daily basis. We take a look at it. We give them the information, and they can go on their way. If they want to work with us, they can. And if they don't, we understand as well. But it's a second free opinion, and people should take advantage of that. Sure should. And this is the perfect time as we head into 2019. Know the difference. That's what it says. The first thing you'll see when you go to AnnexWealth.com. So just hit that up. Hit that green Get Started button. We'll get you going with that free portfolio portfolio analysis, even if with somebody else. Just you know, kick the tires and see how we operate. Team Tech Trust. Again, it's AnnexWealth.com. This has been Money Talk for uh, Saturday, December 15th. Thank you for listening. Our local number, 262-786-6363. Again, AnnexWealth.com. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.